Welcome to Definitely a Board Game Podcast, a podcast definitely about board games, except what it isn't. I'm your host, A. Aaron Milich, and I'm here with the Jamie Stegmeyer of Board Games, Royce Cowerly. <laughs> Royce, say hello. <laughs> okay, hello, hello, hello. All right, first of all, I am in no way of the equivalency to Jamie Stegmeyer. Jamie Stegmeyer is a brilliant designer, a brilliant publisher, an incredible hype man. I am not Jamie Stegmeyer, but I actually get the reference. I know why you are calling me the Jamie Stegmeyer of board games. It's, I don't remember the last time I got the reference without you having to explain it. I'm so excited. Do you want to tell everyone why you got the reference? I'm giggling. I'm bouncing on my seat. I'm almost peeing myself. <laughs> Guys, we have Jamie Stegmeyer on the show today. We do. We do. I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> we do. Every time I tell somebody, that's the same response I get. How? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why is he coming on your show? How is he coming? What? I don't understand. What's going on to understand? We are bona fide, you know, board game content celebrities now, yep. and we can get the big names. We can. Okay. Or uh, why or how either, by the way. I'm assuming <laughs> I mean, it's co- COVID boredom. <laughs> <laughs> sure, I'll do it. Why not? Well, but yeah, he's here. And of course, he is going to be our main event. No question about that. So we'll definitely get into uh, an exciting interview with Jamie Stegmeyer a little bit later. But as always, we are going to start episode 26 with some feedback. Stand back, ladies and gentlemen, the maestro will now sing the feedback song. <clears throat> feed, feed, feedback. We have feedback. Very bassy today. Did you just wake up? <laughs> I'm not just here. I, I felt, you know, I had to to counteract my excitement for Jamie Stegmeyer with nice dirgy feedback. Yeah, that was uh, almost throat singing. Almost. Cool. Almost. <laughs> big, big almost. So we don't have a ton. We, we don't have a Not ton. only do I have perfect pitch, I also can throat sing apparently. Yeah, perfect pitch. I'm not even going to get, um, no, I'm not going back there. I'm leaving that alone. One time you got lucky. One time. <laughs> All right, tell us about our feedback. Yeah. What do you got for us? So, my brother-in-law, now that now that he knows that we're talking about him on the show more and more, of course, he's checking in to make sure that, you know, <laughs> we're not saying anything too derogatory or horrible about him. Hi, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> so, he, uh, he pointed out something to me that I thought was pretty funny um, because I didn't realize it at first. Uh, if you recall, in episode 25, our top three was weirdest Kickstarters we could find. Yep. And my number two was actually a board game called Poop the Board Game. Right. And so he messaged me and said, isn't that the game we have up at the cottage? <laughs> so we actually have. <laughs> so wait, did you back the board game? Did no. Did you back the Kickstarter? <laughs> no. Um, I think sometimes they have other friends come up who bring board games and sometimes leave them behind. Or it's possible they found a copy, or got their hands on a copy. But I, as soon as he said it, the image just popped in my face. I'm like, oh, yeah, there is a copy of Poop the Board Game at a cottage. So um, now we know the kind of people who buy them. 
And now we know what happens to all those Kickstarter copies of Poop the Board Game. They get left at the cottage. They get left to the cottage. By random people. Yep. <laughs> so that's pretty much it. That's all the feedback I have. Anything from you? Yeah. You're good? Yeah, no, we're recording a little earlier this time to accommodate, you know, our special guest schedule, mm-hmm. which is great. But that means that we didn't have as much time for feedback. So we'll have double feedback next episode. That Super sounds, excited. That sounds awesome. All right, let's go to our quick... get to Jamie now? Not not yet. <laughs> Just oh. settle down. We're going to do some quick thoughts first. All right. Shockingly, I notice here that all the games in quick thoughts are Stonemeyer games. <laughs> what uh, you know, I figured we might as well. Uh, I, you've talked about Wingspan a fair bit in the past, so I thought mm-hmm. we wouldn't talk about Wingspan. But what I th- want to do is I'm going to do kind of a little mini top three okay. i'm gonna do my top three stonemeyer games that makes sense and you'll note wingspan is not one of my top three i like wingspan but i like all of these better so cool. let's go through real quick uh my number three top three stonemeyer games is tapestry so this one is designed by jamie stegmeyer it was released in 2019 i don't think you've played this one have you uh, no, but I've seen it. I mean, his boxes are so striking. Once they and his names too. Once you see them, they're just in there. So I have seen it for sure. Neat, neat. Yeah, this is a really interesting game. It does a lot of things very different that I wouldn't have expected. It was actually a gift from my mother, and it wasn't one I asked for. And when people buy me games that I don't ask for, it's usually taking a big chance because the odds right. of me having it already are pretty good. Yeah. But she bought me this without sort of on a blind, no idea what she was doing, and she she hit it out of the park. It's a really neat game. Um, basically, what each person is taking a civilization from nothing, from Stone Age level almost, to... As far as you want to take it. You can even take it out into interstellar space exploration. Like, it can go a long way. Hmm. It doesn't have to, though. You can win without going to space. You can do all sorts of different things. And how you do this is you roll dice, and you use those dice to move up four different tracks. So there's a science track, an exploration track, a technology track, and a military track. Hmm. And you... You're not likely to be able to do all four, but you can. You usually are picking two of them and going with two out of the four. Okay. And you, as you move up, you get one-shot abilities. You get to put buildings down in various places. You get to get advanced buildings, which are these really nice, sculpted, paint pre-painted uh, individual buildings that are all quite unique. Uh, so you're building it all up, and you're doing a few different things. You're Building the buildings, getting new technologies. You have an area control map in the center with a little bit of combat on it, not a lot. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you have a personal area control, where if you fill up the rows and columns, you get a bunch of points from that. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. What I really like about this game, though, is you get this narrative. Okay. It, it's not obvious, but as you're building it up, like you start with the inventors and then the inventors end up in a uh, theocracy and then from the theocracy they move to a dystopian society and then from the dystopian society to the age of exploration and you kind of get this narrative of how the inventors uh were you know inventing their stuff and they went too far and the religious overthrew the invention and theocracy took over but as the theocracy again went too far there was this resurgence into a dystopian uh 
society and from the dystopian society, this remnants of the inventors is rediscovered and explored and you end up in the age of exploration and you get this cool narrative, even though it's not intentional, but it comes out from the cards that you end up playing and you don't play very many, but it's enough to give you that narrative. Hmm. The other thing that's really cool about it is the, it's a little unique in the end condition. Okay. Basically, you are spending all your resources, and when you've spent all your resources, your round ends, your era ends, and you move to the second era. And you're going to play a total of three eras, but nobody is going to be moving from one era to the same time as everybody else, because it's based on how many resources you gather, how, what you do with them, how you spend them. So one person can finish all three eras, and the other person is only halfway through their third era. Huh. And so you're actually sitting there watching the other people finish up a lot of the time. And I tend to be finished earlier <laughs> and I tend to be leading at that point. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have to sit there and watch as people get more points and get closer and closer to my score. And oh, it becomes, wow. okay, are they going to beat me? What's going on? <laughs> I, I just really enjoy that little bit of tension at the end of the game. Right. And it's not long. Like nobody ever goes more than maybe 10, 15 minutes longer than everybody else. It's not like playing Monopoly or something where you're out and then you have to wait an hour before the game is over. <laughs> right. So right. It, it's really quite cool. I really enjoy Tapestry. It is my number three favorite Stonemaier game. Very cool. All right. All right. What's number two? Number two? Number two is Scythe. And this is the only one I don't own out of the three. Uh, thanks a lot, Steve. Steve had a copy, and Steve moved to BC, and now I don't have a copy anymore. I remember this uh, now, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this was published by Stonemaier Games in 2016, a few years earlier. And it is, again, a Jamie Stegmeier design. So so far, they're all Stegmeier designs. This one is, this one's so me solely on the art initially hmm. so they released an image way before the kickstarter started this was a kickstarter game originally and this image was it looked like these 18th century russian peasants gathering wheat and they're just sort of cutting it and carrying it by hand and all this and in the background is this giant steam mech hmm. just kind of like standing guard over these peasants and the conflict and the contradiction within this art just drew me, drew everybody in. And it drew Jamie in as well because this was the inspiration for Scythe. The art came first. Okay, just so we're clear, there is a little controversy over Jacob Rosalski's art. So Jacob Rosalski is the artist who did this. It was found out later that, or at least he was accused later, of tracing elements of his art. Oh. So if he needed a tiger, he would go to someone else's picture of a tiger and trace the tiger. Right. I don't I don't know how common this is in art. I, yeah. I'm not an art expert, despite my canvas wanderings last episode. But I don't care. Yeah, I don't either. Personally, and the yeah. reason I don't is because, again, it's that conflict between the elements that makes Jacob's art so incredibly powerful. Right. Not individual element themselves right right and that's where i think he is an artist not necessarily his ability to draw a tiger but his ability to combine that tiger with you know these steam mechs and whatever else is going on in the art i don't know what do you think um <clears throat> well i'm thinking about it as from a musical side that sometimes you want to write a song and you're not sure where to start so you'll grab a 
a chord progression that's been used by someone else or has been used a million times. So I'm thinking this guy wants to draw a tiger and he just needs an outline to get started and he's just tracing someone else's tiger as inspiration to begin, then no big deal. I mean, if he's copying it, you know, dead on 100%, which would still be very hard to do, that's a little different story. But if he's just using it as inspiration to get started, I don't see the problem with that. So you're sort of equating it with arranging a music as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, just, just getting started. Yeah, yeah. sure. I have no yeah. problem with it. Yeah. Anyway, all right, I just thought we should touch on that so that people don't say, well, did you know Jacob stole his art? <laughs> I know that there were elements that were stolen. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, let's go back to Scythe. All right. All right, so Scythe is a 4X game. 4X. Um, have we talked about 4X games before? No. Okay, so a 4X game, it stands for Explore, Expand, Exploit, and... Exorcism. Oh, exterminate. <laughs> exterminate. Exterminate. There we go. Exterminate. <laughs> should remember that. So, explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. You are moving out onto the map to find various different things. You are expanding your territory. You're exploiting the various resources that are available to you, and you're exterminating your opponents. This was a Kickstarter. It made, I believe, $1.8 million. It was a big success, wow, huge success. And then the art had a lot to do with that because even before the gameplay, people like me were like, oh, the art. Wow. Uh, but each player plays a faction. I think there were five factions in the base game, and then it goes up to seven with the expansions. And you're going to gather resources. You're going to build monuments. You're going to engage in combat, although a little bit like... Uh, Cthulhu Wars that we talked about last week, right. the combat was not the primary go focus of the game. Okay, It's almost a uh, just a stepping stone to greater results. And what I mean by stepping stone to greater results is this has a really unique system where instead of getting points or anything like that, it's almost a race. Oh, okay. Uh, each player has a certain number of stars... And you're going to play out these stars, and whoever gets all their stars down first is going to win the game. Oh. And you can get, I think, two stars for combat. You get one star for reaching the end. You get a couple stars for various different things that you are going to do during the game. Hmm. So rather than concentrate on any one thing, you're spreading it out, and you're trying to do all of these little tasks that have to be completed. And whoever can do all these tasks first wins. Hmm. It also has a really unique, neat idea where you are—you have a player board in front of you, and it has sort of a primary and a secondary ability. Oh. And if you use the ability, then the people to your left and to your right get to use a secondary ability under the same uh, category. Oh, okay. So you always are giving actions to the people to your left and your right. Instead of to everybody in a game like San Juan or something or Puerto Rico, this only goes left and right. So you end up with this thing, especially when you play four or more players, where sometimes people are getting uh, actions and you're just like, oh, I need that action, but you're sitting across the table for me. Why aren't you left or right of me? What's going on? And it, it makes it a really cool uh, interaction between the players besides the combat, which is the other way that you interact. Right. The combat system, by the way, is one of my favorite combat systems. Uh, in this one, you set a dial, you spend combat points to set your base combat, but then you get to add a face-down card to it. Hmm. So your opponent knows what your face-up combat is, but then they get their face-down 
surprise combat as well. So you never know for sure if you're going to win the combat, but it's quick, it's easy, it's basically a one-off, you win the combat. I really like Scythe. I like it a lot. I kind of wish I had a copy. I don't only because at this point... It would be a fairly expensive investment because I'd also have to get all the expansions, right. and there's quite a few expansions for it. And you know, you don't maybe have to. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> don't tell Grace that. Oh, I do right. have yes. to. <laughs> don't listen to me, Grace. I've lost my mind. So that's Scythe. Scythe is really cool. I really enjoy Scythe, and it is beautiful. It is probably the best art of any game that I know. Can I ask I, a question? Uh, yep. Would, would Scythe, when you were explaining to me, didn't sound like it would work that well with a two-player model does it i don't know i've never played it with two i know of people who swear that it's great at two okay but i gotta be honest just looking at it i would not think it would play well at two well just based on what you just said about the left and right actions too like that no matter what you do they get your action like that almost cancels each other out doesn't it so yeah and i i don't know just looking at it i can't imagine it would play well with two and that might be why we've never taken it out with two players mm. But I know people that swear, no, no, it's great with two, too. But one thing about Jamie's games, and we have to sort of talk about this a little bit, and I'm sure we'll bring it up in the interview as well. The hype and the fandom for Jamie's games is insane. Hmm. Before he releases a game, everyone on BGG and the internets <laughs> is just going, oh, did you see it? 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 <laughs> and his fans are rabid. Like, they oh. are, they are just unbelievably loyal and excitable and sometimes i have to sit back and go is this actually good with two or is this a, a jamie fan who is just right. trying to justify it a little bit and i don't know i just i've never played it with two but it just doesn't feel like it would be as good with two hmm. well both games se seem pretty deep pretty involved they don't but seem terribly simple you know what? That's another thing about his games, and that might be part of why his games are so appealing a lot of the time. They seem deeper than they are. Oh, okay. Or at least more complicated than they are. Maybe not deeper. There's deep strategy. But when you're looking at the rules, when you look at the boards, when you look at all the pieces, your little brain goes... Yeah. But when you start playing it, it just works. It makes sense. It's easy. Awesome. And there isn't that much to remember. That's good. Well, that's a sign of a good game. So then what's the number one Jamie Stegmaier uh, game for you? This is going to be a controversial opinion, because I know this is not most people's favorite Stegmaier. Uh, this is Euphoria, Build a Better Dystopia. Okay. All right. This, I think, might have been Jamie's second game after Viticulture. Yeah, it's quite uh, old. So he is the designer, along with Alan Stone. Right. This was released back in 2013. I think Viticulture came out in 2012. You'll note Viticulture is not on my list. Uh, it's not one of my favorites. Oh, okay. But Euphoria, Building a Better Dystopia, I love. I have actually played it twice this week. Grace and I played it two-player twice this week, hmm. which almost never happens. It's incredibly fast. It's you know an hour, hour, 20 minutes at the most for two players. I love how it gets fast. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, here's the deal. Yeah. You are in a dystopian society. You have become aware of this fact. And you are attempting to join with these factions and raise up a resistance 
to the controlling forces of this dystopian society. Okay. The best part of this game, though, the best part of Euphoria is the humor. Oh. This is a case of you are becoming the monster to stop the monster. You are literally becoming one of these horrible people running the society. <laughs> it's a dice action placement game, so the dice are your workers. You roll the dice. Just to give you an example of the amazing humor in the whole thing you can get more dice no problem it's not even hard to get more dice when you roll those dice though you're going to add them all together and you're going to add your workers intelligence their knowledge and if it gets too high you lose a worker hmm. now the rule book is not clear whether or not the worker realizes you're exploiting them and leaves or whether you think your workers are getting a little too intelligent, so you eliminate one of these smarter ones to drop the average back down again. Oh, okay. But either way, if the workers get too smart, you're going to start losing workers because they're going to stop working for you. To get new workers, you have two ways to get new workers. Okay. You can shock them with electricity. Okay. <laughs> okay. This is good is because it? it lowers their... Uh, overall intelligence and knowledge. Basically, you're giving them shock therapy to make them a little dumber. Yeah. <laughs> or you can uh, bribe them oh. with water, and water is essentially you're turning on the fire hose and waking them up. Oh, I see. <laughs> but because you shock them awake without electricity, they're really happy, and their their happiness goes up. And oh. you want your workers' happiness to be as high as possible. This is strange. <laughs> When you retrieve your workers, yeah. when you pull them back off the board and put them back out again, you have a choice. You can just throw them back out to work. But then they're going to get unhappy and you're going right. to lose happiness. Or you can give them food. Or you can give them bliss. And oh. bliss is the drug in the game. Ah. <laughs> you can literally just drug your workforce into the keep working so that they're happy. <laughs> you're right. This is funny. <laughs> yeah. It's a great game. Uh, it's got it's a dark subject matter done with wonderful humor. Uh, you have you're gonna be there's four different factions. You're gonna be working with the four different factions depending on what recruits you have. Uh, you are going to be building these marketplaces and the marketplace locations. Again, that's where the humor is. It's amazing. Uh, there's one, for instance, called uh, the Registry of Personal Secrets. Okay. Uh, oh, the spa of fleeting pleasure. So you can send your workers to the spa of fleeting pleasure. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> and my personal favorite. Oh, my personal favorite. Wait, wait. Is the friendly local game bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's dozens of these in the original game. There's even more in the expansion. The expansion is called Ignorance is Bliss. Uh, this is a very small expansion, but... The changes it makes, I would never play with it. Right. And that's a clever name. Yeah. Ignorance is bliss. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it really sums up this game beautifully. I will say this is probably, in some ways, the predecessor to Scythe. It has that same star pattern. Okay. Where you're putting out stars to win the game. Right. And you may like that, you may not. That's probably the most controversial part of this game. Because in this one, it's so fast that those stars go out really fast and it's somebody will just go bang, bang, bang and win the game often before you realize it. And you're like, I still had three stars. What happened? Right, right. right. That'd be me. <laughs> <laughs> 
free. <laughs> well, the what happened part. The what happened part. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, that's the controversial part of it. But I love Euphoria because the mechanics work beautifully. Sorry, mechanisms work beautifully. <laughs> And then on top of that, this humor, this it just makes me laugh every single time I play it. And I love this, do I shock them with electricity or do they get the fire hose? <laughs> it's just such a super wonderful choice. Yeah, you should I never love be given that choice. So. <laughs> Your poor workers, please, no. <laughs> wow, that's really... Yeah, you're right. It does sound pretty funny, for sure. Yeah, and it is. Dark it is. sense and of humor. It really is a quick, fun Euro game. Nice. But especially with the expansion. The expansion uh, cleans up a few points that I didn't love in the original game that were a little bit more luck-based. The expansion removes some of that luck and makes it a better strategy game in my mind. Cool. So I would never play it without the expansion. So once again, all of our quick thoughts, uh, Jamie Stegmeyer Games, Stonemeyer Games. Number three was Tapestry. Number two, Scythe. And number one, Euphoria, build a better dystopia. Exactly. Did I mention that Euphoria is Stegmeier and Alan Stone? That you was did. a co-designer on that you, one? You did, yeah. yes. Good. All right. Yeah. But he's coming on the show and Alan isn't, so I just... Right. So, <laughs> just you know. Right. Yeah. So let's go talk to Jamie. Well, no. Now, right? No. Let's, let's head over to the news first, Royce. Let's do the news. <laughs> All right. So... What's going on in the news, Royce? Anything new? New? What's new? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what's new. Jamie Stegmeier is in our main event. So why are we wasting time talking about that? That's the news. <laughs> All right. No news today. Fine. <laughs> Let's go over to new to the collection. No, you're killing me here. I want to get to the main event. No, listen, buddy. <laughs> I... I have some new games that I would like to talk about, if you don't mind, and then we'll get Jamie on the thing. Okay? Is that is that okay with you? Fine. <laughs> All right. Just hurry it up, will you? I'll try. So I bought a whole bunch of games, uh, and these are games that uh, have been on the list for a while, and I think two of the three of them are ones that you uh, definitely at least hyped up or suggested or own. Is this Stonemaier Games? Let's not get into that right now. <laughs> you forgot the, uh, the, the overarching theme, perhaps? <laughs> I only have one, one Stonemeyer game. All right. And, and we can talk that's about Wingspan. Yeah. That's Wingspan, yeah. So we will uh, discuss that later. I, um, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know what to say. <laughs> don't apologize to me. Can I apologize? <laughs> Jamie. When he's here, that's the first. Oh, Jamie, I'm so sorry. I only have wingspan. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> Can I talk all about, right, new... Tell us about your new game? Yes. I'm going to give you the entire new to the collection. I'm not going to talk at all. I pre- well, you don't have to not not once, not a single word. <laughs> you don't have to be silent. <laughs> uh, no, let's... I'm not going to talk. Oh my god! Nope. <laughs> You're such a bouncy little diva today. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. The first one, we're going to go back from, I guess, the uh, oldest to newest. So the first one is Lanterns, the Harvest Festival, Christopher Chong, Renegade Game Studios, 2015. Now, this is not one you recommended to me. No, no, but it is an excellent game. I do own it. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. I, um, it's one of those games, we've talked about this before, um, you know, with like Takenoko and Takedo. I'm typically drawn to Asian-themed games. 
mm-hmm. um, mostly because every experience I've had with them has always been good and positive. And I, I like that style, the culture and everything. So I saw this one a while ago and again, went on board Game Geek. And I think the review was like 6.8. And I'm like, oh, 6. But then you've made it clear that 6.8 is not a bad score, right? Which I didn't right. know at the time. So it was one of those ones that kept kind of looking at and putting down, looking at, putting down. And I've read some people say really great things. Other people are like, it's all right. It's a nice filler game, whatever, you know. But I bought it. I uh, finally took the plunge. And I really like it. It's really my style of game. Played it with the wife. Uh, she won. Of course, what else is new by, <laughs> by one point? Um, but uh, yeah, you're basically, uh, you have tiles that have four colors on them. Sometimes they're all like, they can all be the same or maybe two are the same and two are different, whatever. But they all represent lanterns you're basically placing in the water. And as you match lanterns, you get colored lantern cards. And actually, so does your opponent. Or opponents, I guess. We only played the two of us. Yeah. And with those cards, you start creating sets or four of a kind. Or if you can get all seven of the different colored lanterns, you can trade those in. I think they're called tributes. You can trade Mm -hmm. those in and get point cards back. And essentially, you're sort of trading in these lanterns uh, for these point cards. And at the end of the game, whoever has the most points wins. So it's pretty straightforward. You also get uh, player tokens as well, which you can um, uh, also buy other lantern cards. Yeah. yeah. This game is fine at two players. I think you're going to be really interested when you get to more. Because yeah. with more is when you start having that, oh, if I put this down, I'll get this. But I'm going to give, yeah. dang it, I'm going to give Aaron a pink. I, Aaron can't get another pink crap, so I'm going to take a less optimal move because then it gives Aaron a black. Aaron doesn't care about black. And it's just it, it, that 3D element of everybody getting a different color depending on what side you put down facing them really makes this a fascinating game to play with more players. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Christopher is Canadian for what it's worth. Oh. Uh, I've met him at a couple different conventions now, so I think he's Canadian. That's cool. I had no idea. Uh, yeah, so like like I said, this is more my my speed for sure. Uh, it's not uh, heavily, it's not deep like Royce's usual games. Um, but yeah, I am looking forward to playing with more people, but I really enjoyed it. I like the look of it. I like the feel of it. It's over in about 30 minutes with two players, uh, so it goes by pretty quick. So yeah, I definitely recommend that one. Uh, don't believe the reviews that you've seen. It's, uh, it's a better game than some people give it credit for. And then I decided to pick up Point Salad by Molly Johnson, not the singer. We have two singers. Alan Stone is also a singer, by the way. Okay. Did you know that? No. Yeah. No. We sing one of his I never songs. Heard Molly Johnson. Molly Johnson, really? Oh. The singer? No. I'm pretty sure she's from Toronto. She's a jazz singer. Yeah. But this is a different Molly Johnson. I saw her picture, a different person. So Molly Johnson. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Robert Melvin. And Sean Stankowicz, now there's a name, AEG Games 2019. And uh, you don't have to say AEG Games. I don't? AEG stands for Alderac Entertainment Games. Okay. So, you know, you don't say, like, your PIN number. Oh, I don't know. (laughs) How do I know? I'm just the host of this damn thing. Also, another thing, is it Alderac Entertainment Group? No, it's Games Group. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. See? This might be some feedback for our big double feedback episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm just going to say what's written here. A-E-G. Whatever. There you go. That's what everybody says because nobody knows. What did I <laughs> What did I say before? AEG Games. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Got it. So AEG 2019. So it's really rel- relatively new. Um, like this one a lot. Uh, again, both both games to play with the wife. She destroyed me. Absolutely slaughtered me <laughs> completely. A uh, pretty straightforward game. You get cards. One side has vegetables on it. The other side has point cards that are basically going to give you points for combinations of vegetables. And as you collect vegetables, you get more points. And at the end, you just see who's got more points. It's really straightforward, really simple. Works well as a two-player game. I would imagine it work well with even more. I think you can play up to eight. Two, six. Two to six. Yeah. Excellent. So, again, nice filler game. Maybe a little less than what I look for in a game. This might be a little too simple, even for me. Can you believe that? <laughs> I find that very interesting because a lot of people have told me that this is great. I've never actually played it. I haven't picked it up. It, it looked a little light for me to want in my collection. I've got enough light card games, I think. But a lot of people have really talked this one up, so I'm a little surprised it's that light for you. I think the problem is... The gameplay is light, but keeping an eye on the amount of points you're getting and your opponent is getting is not. But with a two-player game, the amount of point combinations you're getting, you can't possibly keep track of all of yours and all of theirs. It's Well, I can't, anyway. It was a little uh, beyond... I don't think Marilyn was either. Um, You're just hoping for the best outcome. Um, So you're thinking with more players, it might be a little bit more intellectual, uh, a little bit more stimulating. Yeah. And you can kind of, you know, you can sort of set up situations where they're picking up cards that they're going to get minus points for. Uh, That was less likely with two players. So, yeah. This feels like another opportunity for our big double feedback uh, to tell us whether this plays better with more players. But, yeah. Yeah. But overall, I like the game. I like the look of it. And I thought it was a a nice uh, filler game as well. Uh, But uh, Lanterns is definitely... The, up there, and then the one I have not played yet, new to the collection, is Pinball Super Skill 4K. Jeff Engelstein, WizKid Games, 2020. I bought this because you totally yep. hyped it up, raved about it, but it's still in the shrink. So, got to get that one to the table. I hate it when I really hype up a game like that because I really liked it, and I'm a little bit like you know worried that now that I've hyped it up, you won't like it, and it, you'll you'll feel bad and you'll resent me forever. I don't think you've ever suggested a game I didn't like. Well, that's a good start, then. So this will yeah. be the first one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that's it for New to the Collection. Now we shall. All right, everybody. Thank you so much. That was a great show. Um, uh, where are we going? Contact to us. Where can they find us, Aaron? <laughs> uh, I think you're missing something very crucial and important. I am? Yeah. Oh, crap. Jimmy's here. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> and he thinks I'm silly and dumb. So... <laughs> Now, everyone, sit tight. Get ready. Jamie Stegmeyer of Stonemeyer Games is here for the big main event. Okay, everyone. I, I, I've been excited. I'm super excited. I've been bouncing in my chair. Yeah. We're ready. We're ready. He's here. We're going to welcome our very special <laughs> guest. He's been called the king of Kickstarter. He's designed two games that are in the Board Game Geek Top 25. He's published what might be the most popular game in the last five years, at least. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everyone else, Mr. Jamie Stegmeier. 
Hey, thank you so much for having me. I, that was a wonderful introduction. I really appreciate oh, that. <laughs> Hopefully the best one so far. <laughs> Today, yeah. <laughs> so before we start, uh, I just wanted to mention that, so a friend of mine, a long-time listener named Yvonne, she kind of started this whole thing. Uh, she listens to the podcast and she asked me if we've ever talked about Scythe. And I said yeah. that I didn't know much about it and I mentioned it to Royce. And then Royce was basically saying, you know, we should really just devote an entire episode to Stonemeyer Publishing, which led to somehow getting you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it would be awesome if you could say a quick hi to Yvonne. I think that would, that would be really cool for her. Sure. Well, hi, Yvonne. Thank you for, for introducing this topic and suggesting this topic. This is great. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is her favorite game, or at least up at the very top of the list. So, yeah, she, she's the one yeah. that mentioned it to me. Yeah, so thank you for doing that. That's awesome. And I think yeah. you just made her month. <laughs> <laughs> so All right, so really, let's yeah. start at the beginning then, I guess. Uh, what sure. drove you to become a board game designer, a publisher? What was your inspiration? Yeah, um, I, I, I've been playing board games and designing games just for fun since I was a little kid. But uh, as an adult, I, in terms of the actual publishing of board games, I, um, I started to see games on Kickstarter in around 2010, 2011. Like Ryan Lockett from Red Raven Games had one on there. There was a company called Crash Games that had a few games on Kickstarter back then. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, Alaska Mining and... Uh, yes, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Patrick Nickel over there, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Taste of Minstrel Games. Uh, they, they had a few early campaigns. And I was fascinated by this Kickstarter concept, and I already knew that I loved designing games. So I thought, you know, I'll, I'll give this a try. And so I designed, designed Viticulture specifically for... Uh, a, a Kickstarter project that I thought might appeal to gamers and non-gamers alike. Okay, so the, the when you designed Viticulture, you were looking at Kickstarter as the platform for the game, so they worked in hand in hand. That's really I've never yeah. heard anyone say that before. It's, yeah. yeah, I kind of went into it with the idea of like stretch goals were starting to become a thing, um, mm -hmm. and, and so I, I designed with that in mind. In fact, for a lot of my Kickstarter campaigns, I designed with stretch goals in mind, which is one of the reasons, and I'll jump forward a little bit, but that's one of the reasons that I was excited to eventually leave Kickstarter and just design a game without having to think about that and just put everything right. in the box that I thought belonged <laughs> in the box. Yeah. So I was going to mention that later, but you, since you brought it up, you did yeah. move off Kickstarter into a pre-order system, and I don't know any other publisher that was successfully able to do that. In fact, you see the opposite happening. Everybody's now right. using Kickstarter as a pre-order. Why were you able to do that? What was it that made it successful when everyone else, when they do that, they kind of disappear into the air pollution, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it helped that we had Yvonne's favorite game as our final Kickstarter. <laughs> Scythe took off and, and gave us a lot of great exposure that... Uh, that uh, other games may not have, have given us that level of exposure and also gave us a decent amount of money. It raised a good amount of money on Kickstarter, gave us the flexibility to try other things. Right. Um, as for why it actually took off, though, I think part of it is that I learned so much from Kickstarter in terms of uh, how to build a community, how to communicate with the community and be transparent and provide updates and, and just talk a lot about things with, with people. Um, as well as trying to find ways to price things fairly and to pitch things in ways that are uh, immediately understandable. And so I try to take all that that I learned from Kickstarter and apply it just without using Kickstarter. Um, right. Kickstarter is, is just essentially an e-commerce platform that people apply great stuff to. And so there are other e-commerce platforms out there, 
we just we use Shopify for it now instead of Kickstarter. And unlike Kickstarter, we actually just make the product and then sell it instead of raising money to make a product and then and then eight months later sending it to people. Do you think someone could do that straight out of the gate? Could they create that community straight to their pre-order or do they need the Kickstarter visibility first? That's a great question. Uh, it's I, If I were coming into the, the board game industry right now, I, I would be really hard-pressed not to use Kickstarter as a starting point because people are so comfortable with it. Um, and it does provide a, a, a low-risk platform to try to bring something that's important to you to life without having to risk everything uh, to do that up front like, like we do now. Uh, so I... I I think it is a great platform for new creators and and for experienced creators. I I, I back projects from creators who only use Kickstarter too, um, but it's it's just been it's been really nice to to not have to rely on it and just to be able to believe in a product enough to to make it and then share it with people and deliver it to them a few weeks later. And maybe not pay the extra ten percent as an added bonus. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's, that's nice too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you um are you f- What's happening right now with the company, uh, with COVID happening? What's going on there? Yeah. Um, COVID has been interesting for us. Uh, it, it certainly have, has limited in-person playtesting. That's probably the most like immediately like week-to-week element that's noticeable to me. Um, but I, I have a pretty good bubble within my company. It's a small company. It's just me. And over over last year, we hired two other full-time people. So it's me and my co-founder, um, who is part, very much part-time with the company. And then we have a director of sales and a director of uh, communications now. And so they're all very careful about self-isolating. And when we do, to, do to get together to play test, we just wear masks and are careful about it. That's been the biggest thing. We are not a convention-driven company, and so uh, our marketing isn't dependent on conventions. So I, I think that may have hurt a lot of companies that depended heavily on that last year, which is really unfortunate because I, I love what those companies do at conventions. It just hasn't isn't part of uh, our marketing strategy. So that hasn't impacted us a lot. The one other weird thing that I have noticed over the last few months is that um, with kids at home, a lot of the freelancers we work with, like artists and graphic designers, their attention is now divided in very different ways than it was before. And so I've had to be, uh, I've learned to be a lot more patient with them. I've always tried to be patient with them, but at a new level now, because I want them to be there for their families. I also want them to create cool stuff for us too. So I had to learn that balance a little bit. I've mentioned to Roy several times that I think the scythe art on the box is probably the most striking I've seen possibly ever. Like the, in terms of seeing it in the store, you're just boom, you're just right there. Uh, so I, I really yeah. think it's fantastic art and tapestry too catches your eye. I think the names also like you must spend quite a bit of time thinking about every single detail. It seems uh, that way with uh, the art and the, the naming conventions for your games. Yeah, I, I can't say that we always get it right, but it, it, we definitely spend a lot of time trying to get those names right. And it's helpful to work with amazing artists like Jakob Rosalski on Scythe. And he's more than an artist. As you know from playing the game, he is the world builder. He, he designed this whole world, uh, this alternate history world. And Andrew Bosley, who did the art for Tapestry, I originally found his art through Everdell. And I was like, I really want to work with that artist because that is beautiful art. <laughs> and fortunately, he, uh, he was willing to work with me on it. That table presence is really there. Absolutely, yeah. And if you're talking about names, though, we have to talk about my favorite of your games, which is Euphoria. 
because that's yeah. the one that has the names. I mean, that's the one that everything is just so much fun. But what I really wanted to ask you about it, and it's something I've always wondered. I read your book, uh, Crowdfunding, quite some time ago. But one thing that stuck with yeah. me for this time was that you had originally intended to be an author. And if yeah. I remember correctly, it was a young adult dystopian future book. And I had to wonder if Euphoria was inspired by that original novel that you wanted to write, or was it just a completely different dystopian universe that you ended up in? It, it did end up being a completely different uh, dystopian universe. It, it is reflective of my my love for that genre of fiction. And you you I don't know if you noticed it, but in Euphoria, one of the artifact cards in the game is a book. And yeah. that book has the title of my book on it. Um, <laughs> the title is Wrinkle. It's not a wrinkle in time. It's like the, my book is called just Wrinkle. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that was that's really the only probably connection between the, the two themes between it's the, just that the, one the book and... Yeah, and Aaron, they also have an image of one of the artifacts, which is actually viticulture as an artifact oh, as well cool. in the game. So it's a neat little callback. Yeah. That's uh, clever. It, it just, yeah, fantastic. I, you did mention uh, that you love this dystopian sci-fi universe, so that ties into your yeah. new game very well, Red Rising. This is your first IP game, right? It is. I mean, Scythe, I guess, is technically an IP, uh, but I came in very early on Scythe when Jakob right. was just starting to build it. But yeah, Red Rising is the first very well-established IP. Have, have you guys have you heard of it? Have, have oh, you read yeah. the books? Yeah, I've read the whole series. Yeah. I, okay. I was going to ask you because the, it gets dark and bleak. Especially in the second set of books, and I don't know, how are you going to be, or are you going to be able to continue? Is this a one-shot game, or are you planning to do the whole series at some point? <laughs> You're right about the dark. I mean, the scope gets a lot bigger even as, as you oh, read yeah. the books, and especially yeah. in books four and five. Yeah, and it, and it does get dark, like you said, yeah. Um, I don't know yet. I, my hope is that after Pierce finishes book six, yep. that I'll read it and and think of something to, to bring to either the Red Rising game or maybe a sequel, I don't really know, um, following that second trilogy. We have nothing planned at this point. I've kind of left it completely open until he finishes that trilogy. Um, right. So we'll see. Nothing's planned right now. So does Red Rising then cover the first three books in the trilogy then? Or, okay. Yeah. So, Aaron, just so you know, the it's basically this story of a caste society, right. and a low member of the caste is uh, manipulated and, and physically adjusted to take a place in the high level of the caste oh. to overthrow this whole society. And they go start off with a, like a university type of a setting, although university with lots of knives and guns and explosions <laughs> and killing. And then it goes to almost space battles and planet battles wow. from there. And then it goes to a whole universe of battles or solar system anyway in the, the next yeah. three. So it really gets the, it, it, the expansion possibilities are huge. <laughs> so what inspires these ideas? Because there's so many and there's and they're so but they're so connected to what. What are your inspirations for that? They're all over the place. Yeah. Uh, like for Euphoria, it was dystopian fiction, uh, books, movies, TV shows. Uh, Red Rising was definitely, uh, just as I was reading the books of Red Rising, I was like, okay, I love these characters. I love the tough decisions these characters have to make. It reminds me of the tough decisions I have to make, I, I make when I play board games. And I love the, I don't love the cast structure. I find the cast structure interesting for a right. board game. Yeah. Obviously, it's an allegory of things that we want to avoid in the real world to have a cast structure like that. Um, but is there anything specific oh, that's inspired your games? Well, probably the broadest answer, I guess it's not specific. You asked for specific. Um, <laughs> I'm inspired a lot by other, 
other games, games right. that I play. Okay, fair enough. And just to throw one out there that's specific, uh, Terra Mystica has definitely inspired multiple games of mine. It inspired Scythe, it inspired uh, a certain element in, in Tapestry. So that that's one that I, I definitely like to give credit to. I, one thing you've always been very open to, and it, it's been very impressive to me, is you're not hiding other games. You don't hide other publishers. Like, I just saw you published a video the other day. If you like Scythe, seven other games you're going to love. And they're not right. mine. Like, <laughs> it's, it, it really is neat. And I wonder if that's part of your community building efforts to go beyond just your company and your own success, but to build this giant community. Obviously, that's important to you. Why is it so hard for everyone else to do what you do? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I, I don't entirely, I don't entirely know, and it's not just me. There are definitely other publishers. James sure. Hudson from Druid City Games. He, he, I, I love his enthusiasm when he's talking about other games. There are definitely other publishers and designers that talk with enthusiasm about games from other designers, other publishers. But I am occasionally, I, I am surprised that it doesn't happen more often because it's so easy. Yeah. We're in this hobby. We, we, um, I make games like every designer. I make games because I love games, and so. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it is a little surprising to me that I don't see it more often. <laughs> All right, let me ask you about something else that, it, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I feel like this yeah. is something that you do that other publishers just avoid. When other yeah. publishers publish a game, it's finished and it's mm. done. And then I don't get that feeling with your games all the time. I feel like they're still evolving. There's still potential there to change. And if we look at Euphoria with the Ignorance is Bliss expansion, especially, I mean, that. There were things that very clearly some people didn't enjoy, and Ignorance and Bliss gives the option of changing that if you want. And Tapestry, yeah. tapestry heck, you pretty much said right at the beginning, I'm crowdfunding balance. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna, you, you think it's balanced? Let me know. Tell me your results, and I will right. adjust the factions as we go on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I like the way you said that. <laughs> <laughs> so why... why is this something that, well, almost you can get away with. Other people, it feels like if they were to release that, people would be like, oh, that's an unfinished game. You shouldn't have published it yet. You don't seem to have that problem. Why can you get away with it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did get that a bit with Tapestry, and I knew that was a risk, putting it in the rule book. Hey, report your final score, report your final sieve. I, I knew there was a risk that we get that type of feedback. And I think, honestly, it probably has affected the rank and the perception of the game at a certain point. Because I think sometimes... When people first hear about Tapestry, the first thing someone else says is, it's not completely balanced, uh, or you need this other Civ guide to, to balance it. And I get that, but I went into it figuring, even with the many, many playtests that we did of the game, that when 10,000 people played it 10 times each, they were going to find something that we missed. Like right. I think it would take almost a, level, a certain level of arrogance for a designer to think that they, they have designed a perfectly balanced asymmetric game from day one. Um, and I definitely have learned that I do not have that level of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, of balance or, or design skills. So, yeah, I, wa I wanted to create almost a living game there where people could help me over time um, create more balance, especially with expansions coming in. You said, like you said, we, we expand our games in many different ways. And an expansion faction might need to change the balance of, of uh, a civilization in the original game. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. What do you got? Pardon? <laughs> Sorry, I just I was wondering if you had a question. You look like you had a question there on your face. Sorry. I'm yeah. admiring okay. his wingspan t-shirt. I'd like to get one. Oh <laughs> yeah. This is this <laughs> This is uh from a company in Canada called heroics.ca and they have you, know, oh. you can see the full shirt. 
Um, nice. This is actually this week is the, uh, the the second anniversary of Wingspan. It's only been out for two years now, um, and so I figured I'd, I'd celebrate the anniversary of it. Well, I said that it was the most popular game going back five years because I figured I couldn't think of anything in the previous three at least that would compete with it in any way. It won every award there is, pretty much. Uh, I, I am curious, though, when you have this publishing house that does other people's games and your own games, what's your yeah. preference? What do you prefer to do? I have found um, that I really actually enjoy the variety between the two. Uh, I, w I wasn't sure about that going into it, but I, I love having some des design time every day. I don't always actually get design time every day, but if I get a few hours, I am happy to design my own thing every day. Uh, but I also enjoy the, it's not lack of pressure, but uh, maybe the, a little bit of the lack of responsibility if I can serve as a developer and a publisher for a game and let a designer run with it. Because designing a game takes a lot of time, not just, it, like, you know, the, the ideas part are just a tiny little part, but all the playtesting, the, the actual fixing the prototype and updating the prototype takes a ton of time. So to be able to balance that and let someone else do that on their game as well, I get to come, out, come in as a developer and say, you know, give some feedback and, and playtest here and there. That to me is really enjoyable. I wouldn't only want to do that, and I only I wouldn't only want to design games, but I've, I found a kind of a sweet spot balance between the two so far. Yeah. Yeah. Is one easier than the other in terms of just, does one come to you easier, I guess, is the question, as opposed to <laughs> less work? Yeah. <laughs> I th at this point, I'm, I, I, I would say that development maybe comes to me a little bit easier, especially when I'm working with a really talented designer. If, if a designer kind of just threw a game at me and said, hey, make this much better, make this better, um, I, I would have difficulty doing that. I've tried to do that and have difficulty doing that. But when I can go back and forth with, with a designer a little bit, I think we have a, a, a pretty good chance at making a great game. Yeah. yeah. How important is the developer in the process? Uh, so when you get a game from someone like Elizabeth Hargrave, who has designed this incredible concept and game, how yeah. important is it for when you take over and sort of bring it to its final state? Well, I think that's kind of the key in the way that I do development, because when Elizabeth originally submitted the game to us, it, uh, it was a very different game. It, it was, there was no player mat, there was very little engine building. The real thing that she created that I, that was, I was drawn to was the sheer variety of bird cards right. and uh, how she built the theme into the mechanisms in those cards. But it really was just purely a card-driven game, no other flourishes that we now see. And so... The development process was basically me taking the current version of the game, playing it, playtesting it, and then offering her feedback, asking her some questions, and then she would run with it for, with, for another month or two and then come back, back to me with the next version. And through that process was where we came up with the player mats and the engine building and the, uh, the bonus cards, the end game goals, like all those things emerged from that process, that back and forth process. Um, and I don't think, I, if she had just handed off the, the early version of the game to me, I don't really know what would have come up with it. I, I would have probably done my, my best with it, but I don't think it would have been nearly as good as it ended up being thanks to an ongoing collaboration between the two of us. That's really interesting, because, yeah, I have this image in my head of sort of, here's my game, now you go do mm -hmm. your thing, and that's it. That the, the artist is almost sort of cut out after they submit their, their finished version. So that's really neat to hear that it's more collaborative than that after that. Yeah, that's well, cool. It probably depends on the publisher, too. Yeah, yeah. go ahead, Aaron. What's up? Wingspan is, is another one of those examples, I would say, where I managed to get my hands on a copy, which is not easy in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got it at a candy store up the street from me called Sweet Thrills. They had the one, the one version and the expansion. But again, oh, really? 
it's one of those boxes you see it and you're just drawn to it unbelievable like the artwork is, is unbelievable um what i wanted to ask before and it's kind of uh, related to what you've been talking about what i always find interesting because I'm always thinking, well, what if I could release a board game one day? And the thing I, I you know, you always think, oh, well, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. These are the problems. So, what is the one constant challenge, or is what, where there are a few with with these games that were the hardest part of releasing the game? Mm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, the biggest overarching challenge that I always face is time. Uh, Time is by far the most precious resource that I have at this point. Uh, do I, how do I spend my time? And so for any game, I, I, designing and publishing a game, I, I think it's going to take a huge amount of time if you're going to make something that's, that's good, that, that's, that you're proud of. Um, so that's, that's the big picture challenge. On a micro level for, for each of our games, I mean, early on, it's interesting, actually, now time is the biggest challenge. Early on, money was the challenge. Right. How much do we invest into this game that we don't know how well it'll do? Even for Viticulture, we have, there are upfront costs like art and graphic design. Um, that, 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 that's a risk. You know, how much money do you invest in this? So those are the two big challenges I see. I don't know if that completely, completely answers your question. but I guess for me, yeah. like, did you already understand designing and publishing before you went into this? Mm. Or did you learn that along the way and go, oh my God, this is this is challenging, essentially? I kind of learned it as I went. Oh, yeah. really? And wow. Made, okay. made, made a lot of mistakes along the way, too. Like Even with Viticulture, I didn't appreciate the value of blind playtesting back in 2011, 2012. I did a lot of local playtesting with, with friends and, and uh, my, my business partner. But... Uh, but I, I only sent it out to a few people to blind play test. I guess for your listeners who don't, who don't know what that is, that's when you, you send out a prototype either digitally or um, handcrafted to a bunch of random people or people that you know around the world. But the point is that you are not there when they play test it. So they have to learn it from the rules right. and play it and offer you feedback on it. That's incredibly invaluable. I didn't realize how important that was until after, after Viticulture. Um, so yeah, that, I, I made a lot of mistakes along the way that I kind of learned as I went and, and was fortunate that people were, were patient with me. Go ahead, Royce. Very cool. Could I throw uh, this? I'm going to put one of your quotes back to you, and I think okay. that's a quote that hasn't aged too well. Uh, so this <laughs> okay. was from about 2015, and you said, a Kickstarter that is already finished will not be successful. <laughs> and your idea uh, was it was not that people needed to engage in that excitement. And I'm going right. to argue that it's exactly the opposite now. It has to be finished before you go to Kickstarter. Is there room yeah. on Kickstarter now for these projects that are just an idea or a really cool inspiration that's most of the way there but needs the money to finish? Is that still a place? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think that quote, I think you may have pulled that quote from an article from talking about how uh, it's important to leave a little bit of wiggle room at the end. I don't know the percentage I, I gave back then, right. um, but the way I typically think about it is that a game needs to be about at least 95% finished when you bring it to Kickstarter. And then that extra 5%, there's a little bit of wiggle room to learn from your backers, to get feedback from your backers, maybe to add stretch goals if you want to go that way. Um, but I totally agree with you there. And, and I, that was my intent back then when I wrote about that, that you don't go to Kickstarter with just an idea, something that you've barely worked on yet. Right. You go to Kickstarter with something that is pretty much ready to go to the printer with a few, a little bit of wiggle room in there because 
especially if you are claiming a schedule for that for that product, a delivery a rough delivery estimate, which you need to do on Kickstarter. I think Kickstarter requires you to do that. Um, it's impossible to do that if you only have an idea at that point. I'm working on a game right now that I thought I would have finished two years ago, and so if I had thrown that on Kickstarter. I'm still working on it now. I'm not going to production on it tomorrow, but I would have had to claim a date for that. And so, I, yeah, I don't think back then, now, I don't think there, there's really any place on Kickstarter for a concept or an idea, but rather a close to finished product with a, a little bit of wiggle room to learn from your backers. Right. That was my intention in writing that, but I'll, I'll have to go back and revisit that post and see what I actually said. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, that, no, that, that may have been, I may have misunderstood exactly what you're getting. It felt to me like it needed to be unfinished. It needed to be, mm-hmm. it felt like you were trying to engage the, the audience again and get them involved in the creation process. And maybe oh, okay. just that last couple little percentage was all you were talking about. But it felt to me, at least reading it a little bit more than that. And then you look at yeah. companies like Queen Games nowadays that just throw the thing up there it's finished it's done there will be no changes between this because they give you the rule book they give you everything at the time and i just feel like you almost have to now is there room for a new crowdfunding site maybe for this going back to the original idea a little bit more or is this a dead idea at this point yeah, I guess, I mean, go back to the early days of Kickstarter, that that was the concept that if yeah. you have an idea that you're excited about, that you're passionate about, but you you don't have the funds or w- for whatever reason, you're not ready to invest in even in the sunk cost, the art, the graphic design of, of whatever it is that you're trying to make, that you could use Kickstarter for that. I Maybe there's a very small place for that, but there's if people are giving you their money, I I don't know. I, I, I can't I can't see myself at least as a backer giving someone money if they haven't even gone through the steps of trying to make it. Right. Uh, right. Everyone ideas are easy. But yeah. I, execution, Says even you. a little bit of execution is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm I sure both of you have had many yeah. wonderful ideas. Yeah. And, I mean, you had the idea for this podcast, right? And you found that he now did. actually doing the podcast that's different than he forced, just talking about. He forced me to do it, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> We've been I friends a long time. With technical experience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to ask that very uncomfortable question that uh, a lot of hosts uh, ask because they think they're going to try and get something out of uh, their guest. Is there any games that you can talk about that are coming out in the future that you'd like to hint at? Let us know a little bit about. Royce is already laughing. <laughs> Oh, no, I'm actually laughing because usually I, I am very secretive about that that question. But this year is a little bit different because uh, the game, the other game that we have coming out this year is Rolling Realms, which is a game that I designed not with the intent of publishing it at all. This is a, a infinitely scalable roll and write game that I created at the beginning of the pandemic, just looking for a way to connect to people when we all felt really isolated, I think, and, and away from our gaming groups. And then it kind of became its own thing where a, a lot of thousands of people played this game online with me live and then on YouTube. And I decided to just see if I could make a cost affordable version of it printable. And so I haven't announced exactly how I've done that, how what the game will look like. But um, yeah, I mean, Rolling Realms will be our next game this year in a, a, about four or five months, probably. Cool. And uh yeah, so that, yeah I can actually give you a real Exclusive answer. news. <laughs> yeah. Live for the first time. <laughs> this is why I was asking about COVID, though, because I mm. thought maybe with everything shutting down, all of a sudden you'd have space to think about what's next. And obviously, to a certain degree, that did happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I was asking. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that when you asked that. But yeah, definitely without COVID, that, that game wouldn't exist uh, mm-hmm. at all because I 
that that isn't the style of game that I usually think about for design. Because I have lots of time now, and so I've been using it <laughs> for my own personal hobbies, and it's it's worked out well. So okay. I figured for someone like yourself, if you have a business that's running, and all of a sudden the you know the wheels are stopped, and what do you do? Well, now's your time to regroup and think. Okay, this is what I'm going to do next. So yeah, that's that's really cool. Yeah. So what's it called? Rolling Realms. Rolling Realms. Yeah. There we go. Now we yeah. know. And now our listeners know. <laughs> so, Jamie, what we, as part of our podcast, we do a top three ourselves at the end of every episode. And we like to have whatever guest comes on do a top three. So we have two options for you. You can pick whichever one you want. Would you prefer to give us your top three favorite games and maybe a little bit of why? Or your top three pieces of advice for somebody who is interested in designing a game and working with a publisher? I can really go either way. I can do one or both or, or whatever you want. Yeah, I, I either way. I'm happy. All to right, let's make you do both then. <laughs> <laughs> Double content. Yeah. Yay. Oh my god! <laughs> this is your fault for not picking, Jamie. This is your fault. I can do with the second one pretty quickly because that, that's one that I've talked about a lot. Uh, one is play a lot of games and play them from an analytical pr- perspective. Two is. Uh, to to actually build a prototype, um, even if even if you're not happy with the idea at all, just that the the going through the steps of like we talked about a second ago about actually executing on something, even if it's not going to be the game, if it is a game, that that goes a really long way. And the third one is, I guess I'll tie it to Kickstarter since we talked about Kickstarter a lot. But if if you are thinking about Kickstarter for the game, if you're a new creator, which I I do recommend, um, go back a few Kickstarter projects with the intent of following them from that same analytical perspective of designing a game. Follow those projects with the analytical perspective of being a creator. Pay attention to the things that you like and don't like about those those campaigns so that you can emulate the things you don't like and avoid the things that you... I mean, emulate the things that you like and avoid the things you don't like. So those are the three for designers. Um, While you're thinking of your yeah. top three games then, let me just ask you a question that's yeah. sort of from what you just said. Going back and looking at previous Kickstarters, there's a, at least one company right now, publishing company, that's in a lot of trouble on Kickstarter. I'm not going to name the name of the company, but Why their not? biggest issue seems to be lack of communication. Mm. And I was having a discussion with a couple friends and then a couple designers and one who's run a Kickstarter. And I said, if you communicate, they'll forgive you for just about everything. And they got angry at me. And they're like, no, you obviously have not been on Kickstarter. It's toxic. It's awful in the comments. It, is it true? Like, it, can communication really make up for almost anything? Or is it is it going to be that anonymity with internet causing toxicity problem? I think there's always going to be a little bit of toxicity. That's one of the reasons I moved away from Kickstarter. Even, yeah, I will go into it too much. But we with Scythe, Scythe was a project that went incredibly well in all respects. We delivered early. We delivered, I think, beyond most people's expectations of what the game would be. And we still had people frustrated that they weren't getting it even earlier, or, or that <laughs> someone in California was angry that someone in New York was getting it a week before them. I was like, how did you make this thing toxic? Like, we're delivering to all of you two months early. So that's always going to exist, but I and I completely agree with you that for the other ninety eight percent of people, it, communication makes so much of a difference. I think it is tough for us to tell people bad news. Right. As human beings, that's tough. But in general, I think bad news or good news is better than no news at all. I found that time after time, um, at all levels throughout running my well throughout my life and running a company, you guys have probably had that too, where you have some news that you really don't want to share with someone, but by keeping it from them, that 
ends up making it worse. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree with you there. So this is the point when I should tell Aaron I'm replacing him as my co-host? <laughs> this is the time. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a quick question for you uh, based on your answers. You say make a prototype. You make that sound so easy. What do you, uh, with what? What do you mean? With wood? With car? Uh, how? <laughs> hey, if you have a paper and a pencil, you can make a prototype. Uh, it doesn't need to be fancy. It doesn't need to be great. I know it's... it's it, Especially for the perfectionists of the world. Have you seen your games? <laughs> <laughs> but that's after. I mean, have you seen my prototypes though? My prototypes no. are pretty ugly. Oh, are they? Uh, okay, fair enough. It just yeah. it, to, to me the idea of even having a starting point of what it's going to be. You have to have some sort of materials and some idea and painting skills and some. I don't know. It just to me that to me like when I talked about the challenges earlier, that to me would be the first challenge for me is where to start to design even the prototype. So yeah, yeah. That's anyway. Well, one thing, if I can throw this out there, yeah. I don't know, but one thing you could try that I've I've heard from another publisher actually, a company called uh, Button Shy Games, that if you want to kind of test that a little bit, challenge yourself to de- to design an eighteen card game, mm. and uh, with no computers, just just do it uh, on on two because all it takes is two pieces of paper right. cut into a three by three grid, and you can use a nice marker to draw on those cards to, to design what those cards need to be. And I, I that in itself is executing that's a prototype. Awesome. Yeah. May not look it. But it's it's a way to start. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I, that I like a lot. That's great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm done asking questions on your top three now. <laughs> All right. Are you ready with your top three games? I am, and I'm only ready because I just did a video about this fairly recently, so I can refer <laughs> to my own list here. Um, number three is Lords of Waterdeep right now. You guys played Lords of Waterdeep? Yeah. Unfortunately, no. Yep, I or, played that one. I, I played Yido as well, which is a very similar yeah. game. I. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love Yido. I, I lean towards the Yido camp just a little bit over the Lords of Waterdeep camp, but I love both. Yeah, stop insulting our guests. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both have amazing mission systems. I I yeah. love how the missions kind of lead into something new. You're getting rewarded for the missions for both of those games. Uh, number two is Clank. You played the deck building game Clank. I I have a funny story about Clank. I yeah. so I'm a, I'm a reverend, and I just married a couple, and they met playing Clank. Oh really? And so they That's wanted awesome. Clank mentioned in the ceremony, like it was that important to them. So that was the first time I talked about a board game in the script of their ceremony. But yeah, the Clank was like their lives. <laughs> yeah, it was very important to them. Oh wow, yeah. that's really neat. They connected that strongly over it. Yeah. And then number one, uh, this would actually surprise me a little bit because I I don't design two player only games. But number one was Seven Wonders Duel. Mm-hmm. I I really love the the. A lot of it. I love the I cut you choose element where you're choosing a card and you might be revealing a card to your opponent. I love yep. that it has instant win conditions where you can kind of push that military track and maybe win or push the science and maybe win. And it just it's a it's a it's such a satisfying game in a pretty tight package. Have you guys played Seven Wonders or Seven Wonders yeah. Duel? I played both, yeah. and in fact, uh, longtime listener Jeff just trounced me in Seven Wonders <laughs> Duel just before we started recording this morning. So oh, really, <laughs> we were playing on That's GTA. Awesome. I've never lost by science where he could also have won by points and military. He was so far ahead of me in all three skills. It wasn't funny. Uh, you forgot You forgot honorable mention. So you, let's make your honorable mention your childhood favorite game. My childhood favorite game. I'll go with one that actually that I still enjoy as an adult. Scotland Yard. 
Oh, yeah. Scotland Yard. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, yeah. And the cl- classic hidden movement game. So easy to get into and teach and play. I still have my childhood copy on my shelf over here. Uh, yeah, that's that's good. one of my favorites. I, there are a lot of games from my childhood that I love, but that's going to be up there. That's very cool. excellent. Thank you so much, Jamie. I really appreciate you coming on the show. We've already gone past our time. <laughs> we don't oh, well, do half an hour. So, yeah. is there anything you'd like to say before we go? How would people get a hold of you? Anything you want to have out there in the Ethernet? <laughs> Well, I love the questions you guys asked today. So if any of your listeners have additional questions about any of these topics, um, the best place to contact me is probably, or to post them, I love having public conversations. Um, if you have game design questions on my game design YouTube channel, that's probably the place, the best place to put them. And if you have Kickstarter or entrepreneurship question, questions, the Stillmeyer Games blog is the best place for that. I'm happy to have any conversation with anyone in those comments. All right. Oh, thank you so thank much you for coming so today. Much. Really appreciate it. Really my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Right. Yeah, same here. Thanks, Jamie. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So I can't believe it. Jamie Stegmeyer was on our show. What a super nice guy. I, I, I'm so, I'm, I'm like, I feel like I'm just like floating. It's so cool. Your yeah. new Christmas day is March 10th. <laughs> Happy Jamie day. <laughs> Put that in the calendar every year. Happy Jamie day. That'll be awesome. By the way, you just totally spoiled the magic, right? I did. Yeah, people think that we do our show live, and you just spoiled that we we recorded it almost two weeks ahead of time. Oh, I always do that. I'm sorry. Should I take that? <laughs> I could take that out if you'd like. Should I edit that? No, out? that's okay. Oh. I'm pretty sure they know we're not live. I always forget that we're, yeah, I don't know why I do that. <laughs> All right. Shall we go to our top three? Why not? All right. Here we go. Top, top, top There it is. I will make that magical for you. I know. Bring back Christmas. Okay, guys. So here's the deal. We're just two idiots. Yeah. We're basically talking to ourselves. <laughs> in a minute. And let's face it, having Jamie on the show is something we never thought would ever be possible. Yeah. It was amazing. It was fantastic. It, it It's given us this amazing delusions of grandeur <laughs> we true. are clearly much bigger than we thought we were <laughs> so with that in mind we yeah. figured our top three we're going to say what is our wish list of guests now if we can get anyone in the board game industry or related to board games or something to do with board games who would it be we can get jamie stegmeyer on our show so no idea is too big or too silly now because right. we've already hit the top <laughs> that's it and if we hit the top does that mean i can retire we can get jamie we can get anyone on our show so who would we get if we had our top three wish list of anyone <laughs> Yes, and this took some serious uh, research and thinking on my side. I will say that right now. Actually, um, it was pretty easy for me. I, I, I pretty much had the list in my head already. <laughs> I think we should go back and listen to all 25 episodes we've done and see if there's ever a time we're both like, yeah, this was easy. <laughs> 26, by the way. 20, the first 25. Oh, I see. Yeah, because every time I think it's easy, you think it's hard and vice versa. <laughs> Well, I have a song that I want to end the show with, so that means you're going first. All right. So, top three. Let's go. Here we go. Top three board game adjacent related something people we want on the show. That's a great All right. So, here's my honorable mention. I have two of them, but they're kind of one, so it's okay. Okay. Kind of one. What? Yeah. Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Oh, my. Really? Board game designers? So, I didn't say designers. I never said the word designer. What? 
Oh, you wanted to, anybody? Anybody. Yeah. Oh, as long shoot. as it's board game related. <laughs> so, for those Wait, of you who don't know, Trey Parker, Matt Stone, they are the creators of South Park. Right. That's what they're most famed for. They also have a number of movies. Uh, they've done all sorts of things. What has become very obvious in the last year or so, they are huge board game fans. Right. They had a whole episode where the South Park kids were starting competing board game clubs. And they talked about all the people in the industry. Tom Vassell went out and uh, played games with them, for instance, out in California. So there's the, they are clearly into board games. I would love for the opportunity to play board games with them and maybe pitch them my idea for the, basket, for the basketball, basketball board game. Yeah. Because I think basketball could be a really cool board game with giant round D6s. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a cool idea. Nice. Uh, well, I uh, I guess I don't know how to read. I think we've established that several times. I took this a little more seriously. I thought we were talking about board game designers. So that's uh, kind of the direction I went in here. Okay. But you said related to board games anyway. To be quite honest, it would probably be a very similar list anyway. Yeah. So my honorable mention is I would love to have Seth Jaffe and Dan, Dan Keltner on the show. They're the Designers ones. of your absolute favorite game, Isle of Trains. You've got it, yeah. And I think that's why I'd want them on here to let them know because, I mean, they're in a pretty vast group of, of people and other publishers and designers. And uh, I think they'd probably like to know there's someone out there who thinks that their game is the best of the best. Because they probably don't. I don't know if I, maybe they hear that once in a while, but my assumption is they put out a game, they've moved on, and that's pretty much the end of it. But the game has a lot of uh, meaning to me, and it really is my favorite game still after all the ones that we've, uh, we've bought. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to have them on the show and let them know that it was, uh, I wouldn't, yeah, it was very important to me, that game. And yeah, I can totally get that. I, I Seth Jaffe has done some really good games, and I enjoy them. But I've never—I don't think I've ever heard anyone else say a Seth Jaffe game is their all-time favorite game. You might be his single biggest fan, which is <laughs> pretty cool. Yeah, there you go. So I think that I think they'd like hearing that. So if by any chance they're listening, you guys have created my favorite game. There you go. Excellent. Yeah. What's your number three? My number three. All right. So you may have heard of this guy. He's done a, the occasional movie or something. I, he's relatively famous. His name is Vin Diesel. I've heard of him, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How is he related to board games? I'm so confused. Well, this is the a board game adjacent part. He's actually, he is a D&D &D player, a Dungeons and Dragons player. Wow. And I would love to play Dungeons and Dragons with Vin Diesel. I just think that would be amazing. In fact, I'd like to read you a quote because I think that this sums it up really nicely. This is something Vin Diesel said. He said, no, I never play D&D. <laughs> for some reason, they thought that I played D&D for 20 years. They thought that I spent years playing Barbarians, Witch Hunters, and Arcanum. They thought I played D&D back in the 70s when it was just basic D&D. They thought I continued to play D&D when it became Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. They thought I played D&D when there were three books, The Player's Handbook, The Monster's Manual, and The Dungeon Master's Book. They thought I played D&D as it continued on to the Unearthed Arcanum, Oriental Series, Adventure, Sea Adventures, and Wilderness Adventures. They thought I played D&D at the time when Deities and Demigods was the brand new book. They thought I played D&D when I used to go to a place called The Complete Strategist in New York. <laughs> it's just 
wow. he has been playing D&D as long as I have. There aren't that many people that I meet that have. And I just think it would be fantastic to play a role-playing game with Vin Diesel. And he clearly has a sense of humor. So it would be a lot of fun. Well, that really changes his depth. I think because you know most people think of him as the is the the big muscle in the Fast and Furious series, but obviously there's a lot more there than meets the yep, eye. There's a D and D player for all that. Yeah, a nerd waiting to be beaten up by his outside. Yeah, <laughs> and well, yeah, because <laughs> he doesn't have to worry about that anymore. Um, yeah, I, I would like to read this here. I don't see anything that says adjacent. If we could talk to anyone in the board game industry, who would it be? I don't see the word adjacent. Right here. at the top there, it says board game related guests. Oh, yeah, it does say that in, in bold. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Meh. Anyway. Okay, so my number three <laughs> uh, is Antoine Bauza. Excellent. Yep. Yep. Because he's created uh, two of my top games, Takedo and Takenoko. Uh, he's also created one that I uh, could live without, Hanabi. I'd like to let him know how I feel about Hanabi? that. Hanabi? I don't care. <laughs> I don't like it. Uh, but I'd love to, yeah, sort of just ask you know, ask him questions about his inspiration and how he comes up with these ideas. And uh, obviously, we could uh, we could we could all sit down and play the big giant version of the deluxe version of Takenoki you now have and are really enjoying. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's created enough games that I I would like to meet him in person and and ask him a bunch of questions about the games that he's done. What I really like about Antoine Bauza is he is so uh, diverse in his games. The games all do different mechanisms. They are completely different in style. They don't. I often am playing a game and then I realize it's an Anton Bowser afterwards. I don't realize it as I'm playing it. So yeah, it'd be very cool to see how he designs so many different kinds of games. Right. Yeah. Cool. All right. What's your number two? All right. So my number two is also not a designer. Of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my number two is again, two people, but they're kind of one person. So it's okay. I'm not really cheating. All right. uh, my number two is Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. Who is Dak Shepard? Well, that's really the question. Uh, <laughs> as you know, Kristen Bell is a very famous actress. Yeah. She was Veronica Mars. She's on The Good Place, yeah. or was on The Good Place. It's over now. Yeah. Uh, brilliant. Dak Shepard is her husband. Uh, he was, I believe, a stand-up comedian. Oh. I'll be honest here. I really just want Kristen Bell on the show, but I think they would probably come together. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but... It, it, they are board gamers. Oh. So this this became a thing in, I think it was 2017. Uh, they made the news after they basically said to the interviewers at the Golden Globes that they were skipping the after parties to go play Catan instead. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so after the Golden Globes, instead of going to all the parties where they got the schmooze with all the celebrities yeah. and drink all free alcohol and whatever else, they went and played Settlers of Catan, which... Is amazing. It is. Uh, apparently, they actually met at a game night. Uh, uh, okay. So Kristen Bell was hosting a game night, and Dak Shepard went there, and that's where they met. They're co-hosting. They've got a new TV show coming out called Family Game Night, hmm. where the families are competing in various games and things to win money and prizes. I think it's on NBC. So I figure they're doing a publicity junket for their show anyway. Maybe... 
It's not such a long shot. Maybe they want to be on definitely a board game podcast to, you know, shill family game night. Why not? Yeah. And that might be an episode my wife listens to because she likes Kristen Bell. <laughs> Everybody does. Yeah. yeah. No, I had no and idea. Shepherd, I, guess. I can kind of understand that. If you've been to one Golden Globe after party, I imagine they're all kind of the same and all, you know, a little artificial. And so if you can just go home and have a, a nice quiet night and enjoy yourself, I mean, why not? Why wouldn't you? I don't know. I've never been to a Golden Globe after party. I'd have to see what they're like first to compare. Well, I imagine she's been to so many now at this point that... It's possible, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. I had no idea that she was that into to games. That's cool. Good choice. Thank you. Well, my number two is uh, Elizabeth Hargrave, Wingspan. And Excellent. I, I especially want her on the show now uh, after we've had uh, Jamie on. I originally chose her um, because I looked at her list of games and it's very short. Yes. yes. So I think it's wild that she went from, you know, basically, I think Wingspan's her second game and she went. Yeah, if I remember correctly, Tussie Mussy for Button Shy Games was her first. Yeah. And then Wingspan was her second. So her first game was one of the ones that Jamie was talking about with just like 18 cards. Right. And then from that to Wingspan is a huge jump. Yeah, and she won all these awards. So she went from like zero to 100 and just like that. So I wanted to like, you know, ask her how, how that felt and, and, you know, what the challenges were there. And also, I think just asking her what it's like to be in a, in a male dominated uh, industry. You know, most board game designers, if you Google it, it's pretty much all men straight across yep. the board, all images. So yep. I thought it'd be interesting to see what she, how she, how she feels about being in the industry and uh, if there's any challenges there as well. I know that's a challenge right now. This is especially an issue for Elizabeth Hargrave right now. Uh, there was a game called Tiny Epic, I want to say Dungeons. Okay. And on the cover, there was the usual... Uh, men with big weapons sort of facing the camera, and then there were a couple female characters that were relatively well-clothed, but they were doing the facing slightly away from the camera, so the butt shows type pose. Oh, boy. And she basically called them out on this, and I know there's been a lot of pushback uh, from people who are basically saying, get out of my games, and that's hmm. ridiculous, right? Yeah. Obviously, that's just... A, unbelievably dumb response to what is a very clear and reasonable not even a complaint she just pointed out that this could be done better yeah and, and uh, it actually was because uh uh alms scott alms who designed the game he actually did change the cover good to have a more neutral or less traditionally i don't even know what the right word would be uh, pose for these uh, women on the cover. It, it's always a good idea to push for more representation, to push for people of color and minorities and women in game design. And yeah, it would be really fascinating to see the sort of issues she's had to deal with because of this. It would also be really interesting to hear her point of view, since Jamie told us what it was like publishing her game from his point of view. Right? How did she view it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It did she see it the same way. So yeah, that's a really good choice. Yeah. So she, yeah. The, yeah, and that especially now, like I said, after what Jamie had mentioned, you know, all, all the different changes and stuff, just to see how yeah. how. Yeah. I'd like to hear more about how Wingspan you know, really started, and and it, it sounds like she's really into birds. That would be. Uh, 
the main inspiration there. But obviously there's more to it, like designing a game, how it went from where it was to what it became. Yeah. So anyway, my number two, Elizabeth Hargreave. What's your, what's your number one, the big one? Number one, number one, number one. All right. So here's the deal. Yeah. Robin Williams, he was often seen in the Warhammer stores. I knew a fellow who worked at the original Toronto store and met him there. Uh, if you're curious, Robin Williams played Eldar and Blood Angels in Warhammer 40K. Ooh. All right. I'm going to guess Robin Williams is really not available for an interview. So I figured the next best thing would be someone who played with Robin. Okay. Right? Someone he taught the game to, someone who played Warhammer 40K with him, and talk, can talk about not just their experiences with the game, but also what it's like to play with Robin Williams and this sort of thing. And there are two people that I know he has taught, or apparently he taught. Well, there's three, actually. And any one of them would be amazing. But the one that I've got my sights set on, the one I think we're going to have, I'll get to that one last. So on the set of Jumanji... Yeah. When he was filming Jumanji, he apparently taught Claire Danes to play. Oh, interesting. So Claire Danes played Warhammer 40K on the set of Jumanji. Wow. On the set of Father's Day, he taught Billy Crystal. <laughs> okay. So we could get Billy Crystal on the show, and that would be amazing. But apparently his regular opponent, someone he played with regularly, was Bill Murray. Wow. Yeah, that I can see, actually. I want Bill Murray on our show. <laughs> I want to talk about Warhammer 40K with Bill Murray. I think that would be awesome. I can't... There, It would just... Wow. Sorry, Jamie, you're the top of the top, but come on, Bill Murray? <laughs> that would be a new high bar. Probably wouldn't hurt to ask. He's done stranger things for people, like <laughs> showing up and drummed at a guy's party, and like, oh yeah, you can just email him and hope for the best. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> He's a kook, <laughs> Bill Murray. That's don't say that. He won't come on our show. <laughs> oh, he knows he's a kook. <laughs> he wouldn't argue that. Uh, but yeah, you should definitely uh, reach out to him. And 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 I think that I'm. You know what? Of all the people you've mentioned, I bet you he is the most likely. <laughs> you think I could get Bill Murray before Kristen Bell? Yep, I do. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because she has her own board games. Bill Murray would do it just for the sake of saying, yeah, I went up to Toronto and played Warhammer with these podcasters. Why not? <laughs> that would be so awesome. <laughs> What's your number one? How I'm, does it compare to Bill Murray? <laughs> how does it compare to Bill Murray? I don't uh, I don't think you can compare the two. Um, I picked uh, your f favorite designer and, and now mine, Uwe Rosenberg. I think it'd be great to have him on this show. I mean, I have... Many of his games, I love all of them. I pretty much have decided that if his name's on something, it's worth giving a try. And, uh, you know, he's he's done so much, and he is a pretty big uh, name in the industry. I think it'd be very cool to get him on the show and, and uh, get an hour out of him of all the stuff he's gone through and his own challenges and things he's working on as well. So I'm surprised you didn't pick Uwe Rosenberg personally, but I'm realizing now we approach this... Uh, very differently, as always. As always, yeah. <laughs> All right. That's it. I'm exhausted. Are you? I've been excited for like six days. <laughs> I've been bouncing around full of energy for six days in preparation for this. I, 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 I think I'm starting to get hit with the it's over moment. Yeah. 
Keep Christmas with you all through the year. <laughs> Happy Segmeyer Day. <laughs> all right. So all right. I get the impression you want me to leave. So let's just tell them really quick once again. We'd love some feedback from you today, especially on having Jamie on the show. Um, but there was other things that we talked about too. We'd love to hear from you on. So definitely board at gmail.com or at board definitely on Twitter. And what's the Facebook one again? At definitely board. At definitely board. And of course our guild on board game, on board game geek, definitely board game podcast. And, uh, yeah, and we're always around, always available. We'd love to hear from you. And don't forget, if you don't give us feedback, Royce cannot sing the feedback song, and that would be very sad for everybody. Yeah, we were really close to not having the song this week. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. <laughs> That's true. So uh, one of the games that Uwe Rosenberg uh, designed is Nova Luna, which, of course, means new moon. And I thought, what better way to end the show with New Moon on Monday by my brother-in-law's favorite band, Duran Duran. Excellent. Sounds great. Thank you much, everybody. Have a great day. Happy Stegmeyer Day. <laughs> Bill Murray, if you're a listener, let us know. We'd be happy to have you on the show. And we'll see you all very soon. And don't forget, you can always check us out on Cardboard Conjecture as well. we'll we're always on uh, What You've Been Playing yeah. Wednesday. So check us out there. What You've Been Playing Wednesday, every Wednesday. Yeah. Goodbye, everybody. See you soon. Shake up the picture When there's a mixture With the dudes on the even tide You got me coming With answers on the witch I deny I said it again But could I please rephrase it Maybe I can catch a ride